0: Matthew chapter 6. Remember, we talked last week, up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus spoke almost entirely about spiritual character in the life of those who who claim to know Him and, and claim to follow Him, those who would be His disciples. He was dealing with the spiritual aspect of their lives. And we talked last week, just kind of as we opened up here in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 6, uh, beginning there in verse 19, we talked about um, how Christianity is not just a vertical relationship, us and God. I mean, it's very much that, and, and that's a lot of it. But Paul or uh, Matthew also, God, Jesus here, also wants us to understand that it's not just about the vertical, that the vertical has to affect the horizontal. Because we're still here on this earth and we still deal with each other. And uh, what Jesus wants his followers to know is, hey, that's great. You've got a relationship with me and, and you're focusing on me. That's the first priority. But second to that is <clears throat> how, <are> your <clears throat> how is the horizontal going? And um, we, we looked at basically the beginning, kind of an introduction to what we're going to look at today. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the idea of earthly riches and heavenly riches because that's where we're at in the, the text of Matthew. So let me just read for us the text this morning and uh, get a uh, better grip of understanding where we're, where we're going with this. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also the lamp of the body is the eye if therefore your eye is good your whole body will be full of light but if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness if therefore the light that is in you is darkness how great is that darkness no one can serve two masters for either he will hate one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, we're going to look at two treasuries, two hearts or visions, and two masters. And I don't know how far we'll get through this this morning, but we'll, we'll just uh, start off and we'll see what God has for us. But he starts off there in verse 19, and he basically lays it out for us. He's basically saying in those verses that we read, you have to make a choice. There's a choice to be made here. Either you're going to lay up your treasure on earth or you're going to lay up your treasure on heaven. And then secondly, he says you have to make a choice of whether you're going to exist in the darkness or exist in the light. You have to have a choice. There's a warning there about two kinds of hearts, two kinds of eyes, as the Bible says. The eye is the, the eye gate to the heart. Um, and then thirdly, he basically says there's two masters Either you're going to serve the master of materialism and wealth and um, money here on earth, the God of this age, or you're going to serve God. You can't do both. And so the principles laid laid out for us there in, in verses 19 and 20, he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, okay? You have the option. You have two treasuries, one on earth, one on heaven. Jesus says, put it in heaven, not on earth. That's what His words are. And we have to stop them. We have to ask ourselves, what do we do with our wealth? What do we do with what God has blessed us with? Well, what the Bible tells us is don't invest it here. (laughs) Very clearly. Invest it there. Because that's where your heart should be. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now, we looked last week a little bit about the root of evil in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, where the apostle Paul said to Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money itself. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with having money. Nothing at all. But the love of money. As a matter of fact, you can love money and have zip. <laughs> you can have no money and still love money like crazy. And it could drive you to do things that otherwise you may not do. Well, let's look here this morning at the first point here. He, he talks about a contrast between two kinds of treasures, two kinds of riches, we might say. Um, there are things on earth that we desire, are there not? Sure, we all would say that. Uh, Christ calls these things earthly riches or earthly treasures. Uh, earthly riches would be things like clothes, cars, jewelry, toys, toys, house, buildings, furnishings, pleasure, fame, power, profession, property, money. Anything that dominates a person's life and holds it fast to this earth. That's what we're talking about. The treasure is that which has value. It's worth something to someone. It's funny, you drive around Revit City on Saturdays and you see all these garage sales. And, you know, some of these things, you know, everybody says somebody's junk is someone else's treasure. And that's true. You see people going through all sorts of things. Well, men take things and we ascribe value to them. It may be things like stones, which we refer to as diamonds. Maybe things like rocks or dust, which make up gold. It may be things as simple as paper and metal, which make up money. Or land, which we call property. Or wood, metal, dirt, chemical, and fabric, which makes up a building. Or influence, which we refer to as power. Or even the attention of people, which people refer to as fame. All those things are valuable to someone. Christ says three things here in the text about earthly riches. Three things that are of critical importance both for the believer and the non-believer. These are important things. It doesn't matter. If you, if you, if you haven't trusted Christ, that's okay at this point because it applies to you as well because you still live here on this earth and you still got to deal with the earthly riches. Well, he says, first of all, do not lay up for yourselves earthly riches, material possessions. Christ says that it's that a person is not to focus his life on earthly things. We're not to set our eyes and our mind and our energy and our effort on these passing treasures. That's what the scripture says. I'm not, it says, lay up not for yourselves treasures on earth. That little word treasure there is an interesting word. We get the word treasure from the the Greek word, we get the English word thesaurus from it. It's a treasury of words. And so when he uses this word here, it's really a play on words. It really means treasure not up treasures. In other words, don't stockpile things. The idea of the word treasure is to stash something somewhere. It kind of conveys the idea, literally, the idea of placing something horizontally. There's an old adage that says, the miser says coins are flat, that they may be rest in stacks. The spendthrift spend says that they are round, <laughs> that they may be rolled. See, we're discussing the miser here. There's a horizontal concept to this word treasury and when something is stacked it's not to be used it's in a you might say a passive condition it's just sitting there when you find a word in the greek that has a vertical or perpendicular kind of flavor to it it means that it, it it should be active that it's for purpose it has meaningfulness it's 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 with a function it's being invested with some goal or some purpose or some end but the meaning here is something flat stacked with no active function or purpose so he's saying do not stack up treasures here on earth for yourself now the lord isn't referring to that which we use in everyday life that we're a good steward of and You know, you don't want to every day go to the refrigerator and there's nothing being in your refrigerator. You have to buy groceries and you store them in there. He's not saying, oh, don't do that. See, it's not our necessities, the meetings of life, family, poor, whatever it might be. He's not talking about setting aside money for a future. He's not talking about making wise investments in order to be better stewards of what God has entrusted to you. He's not talking about any of that. See, it's not an active, but a stockpiled luxury that we put together and we amass for our own selves far beyond what we could ever possibly use. That's what he's talking about. And the implication here is that there is an abundance too numerous for us to use. That's the idea of piling it up. Now, there's a couple things we have to think about. First of all, riches do exist. Uh, and their localities clearly stated in our text. There's wealth both in earth, but there's also wealth both in heaven. There's riches in heaven. See, it's easy for us to covet the earthly things and kind of let the heavenly things, uh, you know, they're out of mind, out of sight, out of mind is the idea. And that's kind of why it's easier for us to covet earthly material goods, because we're seen, they're seen by everybody and they can be handled. You know, you can go down to a car dealer and look at that new car. You can get in it and you can go for a test drive. They're also sought by most people, earthly things. And other people tend to influence us in life. And so a person is either worldly-minded or heavenly-minded, Romans 8, 5 to 7 says. And so depending on how you're being influenced is what you're going to seek. And thirdly, they're really, to varying degrees, necessary for life. We need material things in life. We just do. We need a house to live in. We need food to eat. We need clothes on our backs. We need a car to drive. We need a cell phone. I mean, you know, we talked about this last week, but some of the things we need today, you know, once in a while, I, I, I watch uh, the uh, show on TV, uh, Daniel Boone. And, uh, you know, I TiVo it. That's how much I like this show. And... Uh, so I'll sit down on a Saturday and kind of go through the, the shows and see what I haven't seen. And, and um, you know, there's just a simplicity to life back then that you almost yearn for, you know. Uh, it's just amazing. And we're so busy. We're so caught up in this material age today. So there's, there's various degrees of these things that we need. They're necessary for life. And then fourthly, they're present. They're ever before us. And they can be possessed right now. That's just the way life is. But see, earthly riches are also corruptible. Something terrible happens to everything on earth, everything we see around us. Everything ages, everything dies, everything deteriorates or decays. There are things on earth only for a brief time and then, boom, they are no more. Everything has a seed of corruption within it. We should choose the heavenly treasury. That's the choice before us. The Bible says where there is no moth, there is no rust, there is no thieves. We're going to talk about that. See, you have to understand in the Orient, in biblical times, wealth was basically preserved in three ways. Okay, because a lot of times there was no paper, there was no bank books, there was nothing to match the kind of system that we have today. There's no computers, obviously. Wealth was identified in literal commodities. And basically there was three of them, the things you wore, garments, the grain that you ate, and gold or precious metal. That's how they measured wealth back then. And see, earthly riches are insecure, and these people knew that. Uh, the things on earth are insecure for three reasons. He says there they can be stolen or eaten up, they don't last, they waste away, and a person can't take a single thing with him when he passes from this, this world. Just think about the clothes you wear. Well, back then, I mean, today we go to wherever Macy's or Ross or wherever you go, Target, to get your clothes, and, you know, um, it's not a big deal. Well, back then, I mean, these things were handmade, and your clothes were a big deal. Um, and, and they were a very important commodity. You can see throughout Scripture a lot of times where, you know, um, the, the clothing is used as an example of Generosity. Okay, if someone asks for this, we'll give them your cloak also. Okay. Well, today we're like, so what? Because we got 50 shirts hanging in the closet. Well, back then it wasn't so. And you can see throughout Scripture in, in different ways how God really designated garments in the lives of people. They were always an expression of, of wealth a lot of times because they were a commodity of great value. And very often there would be actual gold woven into the garment and the dyeing process was used and, and very, you know, incredible things. When we were over in, in Turkey, we went to a, uh, a rug manufacturer there, and we got to see how they make all sorts of rugs, and, and one of them was was silk rugs, and there was a gal there on a loom, and she was making this rug, a young girl, probably 18, 19 years of age, and one of the uh, Guys that was on our tour, I mean, we went in there and we started looking at the price tags of these rugs and we're like, I felt bad for the company because I thought nobody's going to buy anything because it was pretty expensive. Very well quality, high-end stuff. But one of the guys on the tour, he actually, this girl was working on a silk rug that was going to be done in three years. Three years. And it wasn't that big. That's just the work. I mean, five, six days a week, that's what she does. Well, one of the guys on our tour decided that he wanted one of these rugs. And this gal, when she was done with this rug, she would actually be what they call a master rug weaver. And uh, he was going to get the first rug that she would weave as a master rug weaver because somebody already bought the one she was working on for $50,000. And this guy bought a rug... That he had not, he, the, the guy that was on our tour contracted this girl to buy a, to make a rug for him, and he's gonna buy it when he, when it was probably like five, six years down the road when she's done with it for $50,000. <laughs> I said, well, how does that work? I mean, what if she dies? What if, you know, I mean, all these things. I mean, how much money, you know? And he said, well, actually, he goes, this is a very reputable company, and I planned this out ahead of time, but, you know, I actually, wired the money the wire money's going to be wired into their account tomorrow and part of the money goes to pay her salary so maybe that'll give her a little motivation and he gave her some cash there to kind of retain her as his purse and i'm thinking whoa, i don't feel bad anymore you know Uh, for our tour i mean i didn't think anybody was gonna buy anything in this place and and a lot of people bought things Um, but it, it was amazing to me the value that people put into these rugs and they were they were just incredible I mean, it was amazing. They would lay these rugs out and from one angle it would look a certain color and you could turn, you could walk around it and it would literally change. The entire rug would change. It would look like a totally different rug because of the way that the silk was and the way it was woven. Incredible craftsmanship. Well, back then, that's how it was with their garments. They put a lot of value on their garments. Well, there's a problem. You know, the moths would eat them. We have the same problem today. That's why you get moth balls and all that. But you know what? Moths don't ever eat what you're wearing. you ever notice that? They only eat what you got stacked away, what you got stored away. And so we tend to hoard, and a lot of our treasure is invested in our garments. And what are we doing? We're waiting for moths to literally consume them. That's the idea. So they had garments. They also had grain. And another way they stored their wealth was in grain because that was the the necessity. I mean, you had to have food. And a lot of people, we read this morning in Luke 12, his wealth was in his grain. Well, there in verses 19 and 20, that word rust that we see in, in some context some some translations really means eating that's what it means it literally means eating nowhere in the bible is it used to mean rust so it's kind of a poor translation it means eating the problem with grain what do you think eats the grain? Mice, rats, worms, vermin, all those things like to eat grain. As a matter of fact, 15% of all the stored grain of India is eaten by rats and mice. Incredible. So there's value in that, but stacking it up for years on end, there's not a lot of value in that. And then the third thing he talks about is gold. Gold. The third commodity that they used back then that they would put their treasure into was gold or some kind of precious metal. And the problem came was, well, what do you do with this stuff? How do you you preserve it? You can't take it to the safe deposit box. You might keep it in your house, but as Jesus says, well, a thief could break in and steal it. And the most common thing for them to do was to go out in the backyard, kind of away from the place where they lived, and they would dig a hole, and they would bury the treasure. They would bury their precious metals. So if someone came in to rob, who would think of going out in the backyard and, and trying to dig up who knows where the precious metals were hid? You remember when Saddam Hussein was arrested? Where did they find him? They found him in a hole out in the middle of the field. I mean, they still do that over there in that culture. They, they have valuable things hid away from the home because if something were to happen to the home, well, they still have kind of a stockpile of stuff. And so they wanted to keep it in a secret place. Matthew 7, or Matthew thirteen forty four gives a parable of a man who found the treasure stored in a field. Okay. And so it's a very common thing. And so thieves would lurk around at night and watch where they would bury this stuff and then they would go and they would literally dig it up. Or when a thief broke into a house, he would literally dig through the wall of the house because a lot of the houses were made out of like a mud substance and they could break into the house by literally digging through. Well, that's what that, that word there means. Where thieves break in and steal has the idea of digging through a wall into a house. So your garments could be eaten by moths, your grain could be eaten by animals or insects, and your gold could be taken by mud diggers, <laughs> wall diggers. See, the point is, Jesus, what he's trying to get across to us, if you hoard it, you can lose it because it's unsafe and it's unsecure. That's just the way it works. I mean, today we have mothballs, today we have burglar alarms and rat poison and, and all sorts of things, hopefully to keep our wealth Safe, but you know what? Really, it's not. I mean, you can see on TV how these these robbers sometimes, they'll, they'll break right into a store and they know, hey, they got 60 seconds worth of time, maybe more, before the alarm even goes off. So grab and do whatever they hand, they're gone. You know, if someone wants to break into your house, I don't care what kind of house you have, they're going to break into your house. That's just the simple way that it works. And so what Jesus is saying, you're better off sending these riches, these these wealth, rather than just stockpiling them into the kingdom to reap eternal rewards. And some people say, well, I got all my riches in a bank. Well, talk to somebody that's come through the Depression and they'll let you know how secure banks are. See, there's no place of security in this life even if you keep it until you, you're, you're dead, okay, you're, you're going to leave it behind. You can't take it with you. First Timothy six seven says, "We brought nothing into the world, and it's certain that we can't carry anything out." He goes on. He talks about the love of money being the root of all evil. James five three says, "Your gold and silver, and is is, is cankered, and the rust of them shall be witness against you, and you shall eat your flesh as it were fire." You have heaped treasure together for the last days, and there's various scriptures there that I've listed that you can read about riches and hoarding them up. Now there's kind of four lessons here I think that Christ has for us in this. First of all, wealth is sought. it's something that people seek after, and it's sought by many. All you have to do is watch some of the infomercials on TV. You know, how to get rich, how to get rich. Oh, buy a house, no money down, all this stuff. You know, yeah, well, you don't live in California, pal. You know, I mean, I mean, it's just crazy. Some of the things that people want to, you know, uh, chase after to, to get the quick buck. Well, wealth is sought. And the thing that we forget sometimes is, is that every bit of wealth that's on this, on this earth right now is held by somebody. It's held by somebody. And so what do we do? We spend our lives trying to figure out how to get someone else's wealth. See, things in the world are very insecure. But it's sought. A man can be snatched away from this earth quickly in the twinkling of an eye. And everything that you could have worked for and stored up for is gone. I'm a chaplain with the police department and I've talked to a lot of officers who said, yeah, you know, I can't believe my buddy so-and-so retired full retirement a year later he had a heart attack and he's dead and he worked all his life to get to the point where he didn't have to be go to work every day and he finally got there and then boom he was gone a man can lose much of what he has in this world and we can lose it quickly some of you may have been through that financial difficulties an accident marital problems illness death I mean there's a lot of ways that we could lose everything and a person is a fool to seek an abundance of things just to grab for more and more and more and more. Because one day God will say to them, you fool, this night your, your soul shall be required of you. What are you going to do with these things? In Luke twelve twenty one, we read, he that lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. See, that's, that's so important. We want to be rich toward God. So there's these earthly treasures. There's also heavenly riches. There's also heavenly treasures. There are things in heaven that a believer is to desire. Uh, some of those things that you can, you, you can uh, uh, look at over in Ephesians chapter 1. Go ahead and turn over there, Ephesians chapter 1. And he gives us a list of things that are are heavenly rewards, heavenly blessings. In verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has what? Blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Where? In the heavenly places in Christ. And then he goes on. And if you want to be encouraged, read through uh, the first three chapters of Ephesians. And you can see all that God has blessed us with in Christ. Heavenly riches would be such things as a blameless life, uh, becoming a true child of God, the forgiveness of sins, wisdom, understanding the will of God, the purpose, meaning, significant in life, um, an enormous inheritance that's laid up for us that the Bible says is actually eternal. It's laid up in heaven where moth and rust and thieves can't touch it. A blessing is a constant comforter through the Holy Spirit, a helper. God sends that to us. John 10.10 says that we have an abundant life that's overflowing with blessings in Christ. So that's what makes up heavenly riches. So when we talk of heavenly riches, that's what we're referring to. Christ says three things about heavenly riches that are kind of important for us to understand. First of all, we are to lay up For ourselves, heavenly riches. It says that very clearly. A person is foolish to seek and set his mind on these perishable things. Because he can seek after which gives all the meaning and purpose and significance to life. To have meaning and purpose and significance in life is what life is all about. You're not going to find that in just material things here on the earth. In in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, it says, A man's life consists not in the abundance of things which he possesses. I mean, the Bible is very clear. How much meaning is there in something that passes and perishes? Even while a person seeks after something on this earth, there's kind of an inner awareness within ourselves that we realize that it's not going to last. When we go and we buy that new car, We know that, you know, a couple years it's going to have a scratch or something's going to happen to it. Somebody's going to hit it. Some ding here, ding there. Pretty soon the new car smell is going to be gone. You got to take the car wash and get the new smell put back in it, you know, to make it smell like a new car. So you still think it is new when it's not. See, we try to convince ourselves that these things aren't happening, but they are. It happens to everything. There's an end to whatever meaning. that you put your treasure in Uh, the earthly treasure could be a car a job a, a trip a relationship position power whatever you know what no matter what the treasure is it will end it will pass away and it's going to be no more at some point in life he wants us to understand that clearly secondly he wants us to understand that heavenly riches are incorruptible just the opposite of earthly riches um in, in 1 Peter 1.4, it says, there is an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fades not away. And it says that it's reserved in heaven for you. Have you ever gone out to dinner and forgot to make reservations? And the restaurant required reservations? Guys, if you did that, your wife was not a happy camper. There's something about walking into a nice restaurant with a line of people out the door, and you walk up to the desk and you say, "Excuse me, I have reservations for six o'clock. It's quarter to." Oh, be right your table right here, sir. And you walk by everybody. I remember one time I was down at this this restaurant in in Redwood City. I've only eaten there a couple of times because it's kind of expensive. It's called the Lobster Shack or Lobster, whatever it is. They're on Veterans. Kind of a you know. It's an East Coast kind of a thing. And so every time I go in there, it's just line out the door. So I thought, I wonder if they do, like, takeout. We were going to get one of their sandwiches, and so you know, I called down there. Oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. Okay, name, everything, give me the order. I walk down, I get down there, get off my, you know, or get out of the car. I don't know if I was on the motorcycle or the car, but whatever. And it, it, it lines out the door. And I'm just standing there, standing there, and I'm thinking, you know. And all of a sudden, the guy, the lady up front behind me, is there a, a Mr. Converse here, Steve Converse? And I'm like, oh man, you know, I don't like attention like that. But I'm like, hey, if I can get through this line, and I go, yeah, right here. Oh, come right up here, sir. And I walked right and everybody's like, who the heck is this guy? You know? And uh and I'm kind of like, well, I, I ordered it, it's to go, it's to go, you know, trying to assure them I'm not budding in line. But that was such a good feeling. I didn't have to wait there for twenty minutes. You know. There's something about having reservations. Well, our inheritance our. Heavenly riches, it says, they're reserved in heaven for us. Everyone should lay claim and set his heart on his heavenly inheritance. And then the third thing: heavenly riches are secure. Thieves cannot break into heaven. God's, God's the security system there. They can't penetrate through the spiritual, you know, dimension. There, the walls of God's fortress. No one can ever take anything away from a person's heavenly riches. And even Romans over in chapter eight assures us of that. In Romans chapter eight, uh, verse thirty-two through thirty-nine, just listen to what this what what the apostle Paul writes about God's love here. Romans eight, beginning verse thirty-one. What shall we say to these things? He says, "If God is for us, who can be against us?" He who died did not spare Who who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? Shall persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sakes we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he closes, he says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing. That's a pretty exhaustive list, beloved, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our heavenly inheritance is secure. Heavenly riches are secure. Now, Christ does not stop a man from seeking treasure. That's not his point. Actually, he wants to guide our hearts to search after the real treasure. Heaven is worth more than all the wealth in the world. In Matthew 16, 26, it says, For what a man profits... If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That's a very important question. If I came up to you this morning and said, you know what, I'll give you $10,000 if you'll give me your right eye. Not enough, okay, 50000 a million, 2000000 I mean, some of you may be saying, well, you're getting a little close. (laughs) Most of us would say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not giving up my sight, not even, even one of my eyes. Why? Because it's precious. And yet, we'll sell our soul down the river because of our pride because we want to hold on to the things we want to. That's what Jesus was saying here. He says you can gain the whole world and lose your own soul. What are you going to exchange for your own soul? Are you telling me your soul is not precious to you? It should be a lot more precious to you than your eye. Mark 8.36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? Luke 9.25 says... For what is a man advantaged if he gains the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? See, we have to come to terms with Christ's terms. When Christ came, he died on a cross, he offered his salvation. On occasion, he found, as he was going up to the cross and ministering to people and, and for three years there he found people following him and hordes just following him because they thought wow this guy's got something going on and on several occasions christ would turn around and say hey wait a minute <laughs> you know don't just think because you're with this crowd and you're following me that you're one of my disciples he said a man must leave all to follow christ or else he can't be the lord's disciple we don't like to hear that, but that's what the word says. Luke 14, 33. Whoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. That's Jesus' words, not mine. And Christ says a man is to lay up treasure in heaven, and this is a hard one, for himself. Not lay up treasures on earth for his family. It doesn't say that. Am I saying you shouldn't care for your family? I'm not saying that. Remember, we're talking about hoarding stuff. That's what we're called to do. We're supposed to have the heart of Paul in Philippians 3.8 where he says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. That I may win Christ. In Matthew nineteen twenty-one, Jesus said unto him, If you be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. First Timothy six nineteen says, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. See, there's a choice to be made. The choice is between earthly riches and heavenly riches. Secondly, there's also a warning here. Christ warns about two kinds of hearts. There's a good heart and there's a bad heart. There's a good eye and a bad eye, the way he explains it back in Matthew He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, that's the first kind of eye or heart, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, that's the second kind. What's he saying here? What what does it mean to have a healthy eye or a good eye? The word healthy literally comes from the the, uh, the the Greek word that means generous. It's used many times. It's used in in James one five, God who gives to all men liberally. That's the same word. Romans twelve eight, Paul urges us to give with liberality. That's the same word. 2 Corinthians nine thirteen, the Macedonians gave liberally or generous generously. Same word. Healthy, good, generous. So he's saying if your heart your eye is generous, your whole spiritual life will be flooded with spiritual understanding. Because the eye, beloved, is the gate to the mind. The eye. That's why it's so important what we set our eyes on. What a man looks at is what he thinks about. And what he thinks about is what he actually becomes. Proverbs 23, 7. If a man is focused upon Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, then his mind, his heart will be full of light. And therefore, the deeds of his body will be deeds of light. And that singleness of the eye, he says, you've got to make a choice. You can't, you can't be both here. It means that a person sets his attention upon the Lord Jesus for the purpose of doing his will. And an evil eye is that which focuses upon anything other than God. And he spells out for us there, a man's heart is precisely where his treasure is. If his treasure is on earth, well, where's his heart going to be? His heart is going to be on earth. If his treasure is in heaven, his heart is in heaven. And The eye illustrates the truth of that. If a man's eye is good and healthy, he's able to focus on the treasure. He's able to grasp the truth. But if his eye is unhealthy, he's not able to focus on the treasure and he's not able to grasp the truth. He's blind. He's in utter darkness, the Bible says, as we all were at one point. An unhealthy heart is like an unhealthy eye. It's... It's in darkness. It's unable to see treasure. And God doesn't want us to be that way. We're called to set our, th- our, our mind on things above, not on things on the earth. It's unfortunate. There are, there, there are some people, and I'm just talking our church, I'm talking church in general, who come to church faithfully, and yet, they never seem to change. They never seem to grow. They never seem to love the Word. They never seem to be a witness to others about Christ. They never seem to be productive in their life. And When I see someone like that, I kind of force back to this passage to realize that, you know what, They're, they don't perceive, they don't see. They're oriented toward the earth to what they have here, the treasures here, and that really blinds them from having any spiritual insight or perception at all. Until you take care of the material things in your life, whether it's money or houses or cars or whatever, and you have the proper view there, you're never going to be able to deal with the spiritual realities that God wants you to deal with. And that's what he wants us to understand. Luke sixteen eleven says, "If you don't know how to take care of money, why would God commit to you the true riches?" See, this issue is so big that it may be blinding us spiritually. This material stuff blinds us from any spiritual perception. Now we we should fix our gaze, our hearts on heavenly riches for two reasons. First of all, that's where our citizenship is. Philippians three uh, twenty says our our citizenship is in heaven, that we look for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our body that it may be fashioned like his glorious body. So that's where our citizenship is, and also we're to seek treasures which are eternal, not temporal. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Matthew says they're incorruptible, they're secure, and on and on and on. So we have to make a choice, and he gives us the warning there. Do we have a... Bad eye or a good eye? Bad heart or a good heart? Is it focused on the right things? Don't be focused on things that are corruptible, that are insecure, that are going to be gone in a moment's notice. See, several things happen when people focus their things on earthly treasures. Sometimes you become covetous. You want more and more and more. Sometimes... You complain and you're, you're, you're kind of grudging about what others have and you don't. Maybe you're apprehensive or you're fearful about losing what you do have. Maybe you're hard and closed-minded to giving much to others, even though God is prompting your heart. God wants us to make the right choice. And then lastly here in Matthew 6, he talks about serving two masters. He said you have to make a decision here. He says no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. There are two critical reasons here why this choice has to be made. First of all, a man hates one master and loves another. You can't serve two people. Have you ever had two bosses who are equal? Very frustrating position to be in. One tells you to do one thing, and you try to do what they want, and then the other one comes home. What are you doing that for? You need to be doing this. <sighs> okay. Well, George told me to do it. well, I don't care what George's doing. I'm your boss, right? Yeah, okay, do this. And then George comes back, Well, I told you to do it the other. It's just frustrating. You can't do it. It's impossible. Either you're going to cleave to one and despise the other, or vice versa. That's just the way it is. You have to choose. You can't serve two masters. And see, what he's saying here is the choice is very clear. Either a man is going to serve God or he's going to serve material things. Either he's going to seek after the spiritual and the eternal or he's going to seek after the worldly and the material. You have to commit yourself to one of those two treasures. And there's many, many, scriptures that we could read on and on and on about where God says, don't worry about this world. Your, your, your concern is not to be here. You know, I remember when my brother Bob, when he's later in life, you know, he had planned pretty well. I mean, he was very well with his money and everything and made really good investments and everything. And unfortunately, one of his sons squandered everything. Through seat, basically ripped him off, which is sore subjects in our family. But I mean, you know, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're not talking, you know, twenty thousand. A lot of money gone. And I found my brother Bob at the end of his life, living in this little studio apartment down in Monterey, and uh, he was content. He was really content. had not a care in the world. I mean, he got to eat his ice cream every night before he went to bed. You know, just did his own little life. And uh, I remember how freeing it was for him, you know, when he got word that his cancer was basically terminal and and that, you know, it was going to take his life. I remember how freeing it was for him to sit there in that little apartment and say, well, this is it this is all I got. So we don't need to do a lot of prep work. He goes, I got some insurance policies to take care of the burial and stuff like that and leave a little bit of money for the kids. But for the most part, this is it. And for the longest time, he was doing these oil paintings. And so he let me look through his oil paintings and take what I wanted. He goes, because the kids would probably just throw it out. I don't know. And so, you know, we have some oil paintings in our house that my brother did right before he passed away. And it was interesting to me, and I said this at his funeral. I said, you know what? My brother died basically a poor man by every standard. He didn't have a lot of earthly goods. Even though he had worked his tail off, he was very successful in what he did, and he was very you know, high up in the university, said everything. But because of this incident in his life, he lost everything. And I remember telling the people that, you know what, he may have died a poor man materially. But his heart was in the right place. He was forgiven by God and he has eternal riches laid up for him in heaven. And, you know, that is such a truth that we need to make sure that we understand and that we hold on to. That we can't hold on to these things. They're not meant for us to hold on to. And I'm talking about even, not just material things, even our own family, even our own children. God, they're a gift from God to us. And there's going to come a day when either we're gone or they're gone. And so we need to count every day a blessing. Because as that song says, He gives and He takes away. And it's so important to have your heart set on the right things. Because God does promise us in his word that he came, that Christ came, that we would have life and that we would have it more abundantly. In your life, are you seeing that you have the necessities of life met? That's what God promises to do. A little later on in Matthew 6, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Are you free from anxiety and worry? We're going to be talking about that in a couple weeks. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Be careful for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, you can't even comprehend it. It will guard your heart and it will keep your mind in Christ Jesus. Do you have joy and contentment? John fifteen eleven says, These things I've spoken to you, Jesus said, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. If you're, if you're seeking after earthly treasure, if you're stockpiling stuff up here, I guarantee you, you don't have the joy and contentment that the Bible speaks about. Or abundant and eternal life. The word of God says in, in John three sixteen. We've heard this so many times. I think we've we've just we almost tune it out when someone mentions it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In John five twenty four, He says, "Truly, truly, I say unto you, if you hear My word and you believe on Him that sent Me, you have eternal, everlasting life. You will not come into condemnation." but you are passed from death into life. Do you have that abundant life? I pray you do this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God who does provide for our needs. Lord, and, and, and it's clear in your word that there's nothing wrong with having things. There's nothing wrong with, with having material possessions. There's nothing wrong with having lots of money. It's what you do with it. What do we do with it? Are we investing it only in ourselves, for ourselves? Or are we investing it in the life of others for eternity? Lord, only each of us can answer that personally before you. But Father, there's, there's something more at stake here this morning. Lord, there's something worth so much more than money or material goods. And that's a person's soul. That's a person's heart. And Lord, you say clearly in your word that a man should not seek after this world and lose his own soul. All of our souls are doomed. We've all sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says. But God came into the world through Jesus Christ. He died on a cross. And he died to cover our sins, to pay for our sins. So we have an opportunity to put our faith and trust in a living God who died for us and was raised again to new life. And when we do that, He says, I'm going to take your sins away. I'm going to bury them. I'm going to wash them away because you're trusting in what my son did for you. I pray this morning, if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't come to the cross, if you haven't come to Christ and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I pray that you would, that you would open your heart to the things of God, that God would remove the blinders from your eyes, that you would see the truth for what it really is that he would change you, that he would save you. We cry out to him this morning. Father, we thank you. We pray that you would just bless the rest of this day, that you would bless our time of fellowship afterwards. And Father, we thank you that our inheritance is with you, secured in heaven. And we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen. Let's stand.